0: To the Extent That is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at at americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Morning. This is Ted Claypool. Um, and we are uh, here with the Robot Rules Podcast. The Robot Rules Podcast is presented by the American Bar Association Business Law Section um, to promote um, our book, The Law of Artificial Intelligence and Smart Machines. Uh, we're looking at AI today, and um, this is really our first international interview. We're lucky enough to uh, have the terrific Toronto lawyer Lisa Lifshitz with us to talk um, Canadian law and artificial intelligence, which is very exciting because uh, Canada is actually very, very deep into AI and is getting a lot of international recognition for us or for for their actions in that space. Uh, Lisa, you want to talk a little bit about uh, about uh, why the Canadians are are such a A strong force in AI?
1: Good morning, Ted. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Uh, Yeah, it's actually pretty astounding. uh, As it turns out, Little Old Canada is home to more than 800 AI companies. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we were the first country to launch a national AI strategy back in 2017. We're very forward thinking. I think our government has decided we have to do more than just sell lumber and, you know, harvest trees in order to be competitive in today's uh, economy. Uh, the other thing that I think what's interesting that's going on in Canada, a lot of it is is pure research. So we have actually some of the leading researchers that like uh, Jeffrey Hinton, and uh, he just won the Turing Award, Toronto, of course, being the home of uh, the Vector Institute. So earlier this year, Jeffrey Hinton won the the Turing Award, along with uh, Yoshia Jojo and Yan LeCun, for pioneering work in artificial neural networks. So uh, I think really it's a question of just uh, believing in uh, the area, the space. Uh, of course, um, we're looking at it on a sort of pan-country uh, position. We, we believe in sort of setting up super clusters. So uh, back, I think, in 2017, the government decided to set up these, these super clusters uh, so there's five superclusters. Uh, you know, a partnership with g- governments, with business, post-secondary institutions, and other participants. Well, this is all across Canada, right? I yeah, mean, this is all I'm across Canada. Yeah, because the idea is to put, you know, you, you, we are a large country, so you need to put these these different research institutes in different parts of the country. So, um, the the idea is to sort of get everyone uh, working together in this in this space. The other thing that just happened recently, or fairly recently, is that uh, the government set up a pan Canadian artificial uh, intelligence strategy, and then that led to the creation of An artificial intelligence uh, advisory board, and that's kind of an exciting announcement that happened in May 2019. uh, In order to promote a human-centric approach to AI grounded in human rights, that's that's one of the themes that seems to be happening in Canada as well. There's a a lot of concern, and I'll talk a little bit about this later. There's a lot of concern around ethics and transparency and openness. So. This um, this council. The intention of this council is actually to focus on commercializing value from Canadian-owned AI and data analytics. But the idea too is that it's going to build on some of the things that we've been doing internationally to support, uh, you know, the creation of ethical AI and AI that also works well for our economy.
0: Well, and you um, we talked a little bit. You have some favorite AI systems there as well.
1: Yes, we do. So, again, it's it's actually seen as a real economic driver. Um, Statistically, uh, you know, I I was looking in preparation for this. I was looking at some numbers yesterday. So in 2018, uh, there was $548 million in venture capital invested in Canadian IA companies. Um, And also, we see this as an opportunity for jobs, right? Because, you know, uh, job opportunities grew nearly 500%. For example, between June 2015 and June 2017. So, you know, for us, that's that's those are big numbers. <laughs> so, you know, again, oh, for anybody,
0: is, those are big numbers.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, what's what's very interesting is sort of tremendous amounts of homegrown, you know, research and and all that. Now, I will say one other thing, though. So, you know, this is very Canadian paradox, right? At the same time that we're these brilliant researchers and you know leading pioneers. Uh, when it comes to actually adopting it, we're actually fair, at this time, we're actually somewhat stagnant. And uh, essentially, the actual adoption by Canadian entities has been slow. So only something like 16 to 18% of businesses have reported using AI here. And uh, and I found another interesting statistic. Uh, le- less than while well, 68% of Canadian companies have deployed it, only 31% of those adopters said their implementation was a success, compared to 59% in India, 58% in Germany, and 55% in China. So, we, so even when we do adopt it, we tend to be a little crabby about it. Um, well,
0: I would I would suggest that you're, uh, you you tend to um, be more realistic and and uh, less uh, boastful about what you've done. Um, yeah, I think than, I think other other people. Canadian
1: conservatism as well. I think there is a lot of concern around some of the, you know, we'll touch on this, you know, in this conversation. There's a lot of concern around uh, bias and, uh, you know, lack of transparency and the usual sorts of things that folks are concerned about with respect to the implementation of any new system, right? Um, you know, the, the it's, it's issues relating to a lack of trust or a lack of awareness and uh, potentially concerns around how to scale as well. But, I mean, like anything else, uh, time will tell, and I have no doubt that we will be catching up at some point.
0: Well, and it's very early uh, at this Correct. stage. Correct. I mean, from a business standpoint, there are a number of businesses that are beginning to wrap um, AI uh, systems and AI features in various other systems into their business, but many of them, I think, don't even know that they're doing
1: it. That's correct. I mean, you know, and and certainly some of the pioneers, I mean, we, you know, we have Blue Jay Legal, which has certainly been a, a, a legal innovator in this space. And there's other, other companies, I'm not going to start naming names, but in any event, you know, we, we, do, we do believe in this area where the government, this is again very Canadian, the government is going to be in continuing to invest tremendous amounts of money and time in it and working with various academic institutions, particularly uh, University of Toronto, University of Montreal, uh, and some of them out west, just to name a few. So I think the future is very bright in this area.
0: Looks like it. well, and then another thing that Canada is well known for is um, is having fairly um, uh, uh, intense or well thought out privacy laws, and that's certainly an area that I think people are concerned about is the intersection of AI and privacy. Uh, how is that being addressed in Canada right now?
1: well it's it's funny you say that, and uh, and thank you, is a nice segue. I would argue that our and this is you know my opinion is not particularly unusual in this regard. Um, our privacy laws, frankly, uh, have beginning saggy, <laughs> if you want to use that term. Um, the the issue is we were one of the forerunners and uh, we obviously you know adopted. Uh, we, we adopted sort of pan-Canadian uh, neutral, uh, you know, uh, privacy law, you know, years before arguably other countries, uh, you know, PIPEDA, our federal act, was adopted uh, initially in 2001 and then 2004, and we've had innovations in that regard. And of course, we have sec- we have um, privacy laws across the country that are substantially equivalent to that federal act as well. But the challenge is they've not kept up with sort of uh, current technologies and you know, basically, we all know that. So, as you probably are aware, we've just had a federal election, and uh, well, I've our, heard. Copies, <laughs> our newly elected minority government um, has confirmed that you know the in a, the reform of privacy law is certainly something that they plan on doing. Uh, even just before the election, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau announced that uh, there was going to be a new digital charter. And Ottawa was proposing extensive changes to the PIPEDA, the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act, in recognition that, uh, you know, things need to be looked at again. Um, One of the concerns, of course, there's been a tremendous amount of pressure put on all nations, including the U.S., in respect of uh, the privacy changes that have occurred uh, caused by the adoption of the European uh, General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR. So we like to say our federal privacy commissioner has GDPR envy, and uh, he has certainly been agitating for stronger powers to investigate and audit companies and increase the range of fines that can be imposed for violating the law, right? But, but the challenge of, of our law is that traditionally our privacy laws have been consent-based. And as a result, some of those issues uh, are more difficult in connection with AI systems, where you know sometimes consent is not. In fact, very often consent has not been obtained in order to get the data to train systems, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, at the same while we do have a number of uh, privacy laws on the books that you would think uh, pertain in these ways, and they they certainly do. I would argue that they're a little bit uh, creaky in terms of. Um, the, the current situation at hand.
0: Well, um, there are some specific aspects um, to, to to being um, uh, consent based, like the mandatory notification rules that um, that, that that are going to affect some AI companies or or companies that are using AI.
1: Absolutely, and uh, and uh, we actually uh, finally have mandatory mandatory data breach notification uh, rules in place. Unfortunately, it took a while for them to come into force. Amendments were made to PIPEDA back in 2015, but they only came into force last year. And uh, in, from my perspective, that was a very positive development because, as one of my clients likes to say, it keeps the honest honest. <laughs> right. um, in, 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 in the past, uh, you know, effectively the only province that had Mandatory data breach notification requirements was Alberta. So unless um, a Canadian's personal information happened to, you know, be be touched in in Alberta or involved the PI personal information, not personally identifiable information, by the way, as we like to call it in Canada, um, unless there was a a connection to a real direct connection to Alberta, there was no obligation to actually report the uh, the breach of, uh, of, of, the data breach to any supervisory authority or any individual, right? Um, but as a result of the recent amendments to PIPEDA, uh, now obligations include uh, if there's a real risk of substantial harm or real risk of significant harm, that's the actual term, obligations to report to both individuals, uh, the supervisory authority, the federal privacy commissioner as well as a uniquely Canadian twist, which is uh, reporting to any third-party institution that may have an ability to help mitigate the impact of the breach of security safeguards.
0: Now, that's interesting. Well, let, let me ask a specific AI question. And, sure. Um, you know, if you're using – one of the concerns, I think, for a lot of folks um, – in setting up uh, their AI, which are tend to be very hungry for uh, lots and lots of data. Um, if you end up with PI in initial data sets um, going into the, the AI, um, does that, is that affected by the, by the laws at all in Canada? I mean, do you have to make a reporting that you're doing that? Do you have to get consent from somebody? Or do we even know?
1: Yeah, you would certainly, in theory, have to get consent because uh, under PIPEDA, um, data should only be used for the purpose for which they were collected, for which it was collected. So basically, you would have to actually get consent from the individuals in order to continue to use their data. And we sort of have a regime. You, arguably, it's uh, I like to characterize it as Europe light.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Europe with Europe without the without the fines and Europe without the frills. Right. So the issue, well, is with, that, with,
0: without the deep uh, enforcement provisions that, that every you know every European state has enforced.
1: That's absolutely correct. So what you have is you have language that looks awfully familiar from the perspective of you know a European-based privacy law, but at the same time you you lack the enforcement. So um, at the same time, when you just ask the question with respect to you know what are your rights in in that sense. You would absolutely, as as an individual, have the right to argue that you wouldn't want that machine continually using your data or using it, you know, uh, on a perpetual basis unless it was arguably anonymized to the point where it was no longer you, right? Right. Right. And that's a bit of a slippery slope, because obviously at a certain point, how anonymized is anonymized data. But yes, you absolutely would have to get some form of consent, unless you fell into some sort of very limited category. And frankly, most of the AI systems don't fall into that category.
0: Right. But it seems to be that that, that, that may be where your uh, where your conundrum comes in from the beginning, that, that Canada is superb on research, on the research front, um, but... Uh, actual implementation has been somewhat slow, and it may be that, you know, having to get permissions for a lot of the ways you need to use data to to generally create and, and manage an AI, um, you know, might be part of that.
1: I agree. And I think part of it is is the fact that these rules are showing their age and they come from, I think, a slightly different time where I don't think that these things were actually contemplated Uh, because on the one hand, uh, PIPEDA and federal Canadian privacy, Canadian privacy law generally, prizes itself on being, as I mentioned before, supposedly technology neutral, right? Right. So unlike, mm-hmm. unlike the U.S., for example, where you tend to enact very specific sector-specific or even very specific technology laws, uh, you know, targeted at very precise aspects of technology, we tend to have these more, like, like, like I said to you before, these more European blanket statements and general, you know, feel-good principles, but where they fall down is sometimes, I think, in the details, Right
0: yeah well and, and some i guess part of my point is sometimes wherever you are blanket principles um can affect new technologies when that 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 came along um after um the the principles had been considered
1: That's it. Now, one thing I do want to mention, though, and and again, this is, I think this is actually a little bit of a a Canadian approach to sort of how we see these issues. So, it was Anne Kavukian, who at the time was the uh, privacy commissioner of Ontario, who developed the concept of privacy by design, right? Right. And, and so, basically, I think the way we approach it in some respects is rather, we, rather than try to, you know, in, um, Deal with it if you want to call it, at the tail end of it. We try to sort of think of the issue at the forefront, right? So, in other words, even when you're designing the systems, you know, that's the time to be thinking of the ways to deal with some of these privacy and security issues rather than sort of trying to control it once it's already been built, right? So that's yeah. why I think that, that actually, Matt, from a mindset perspective, I think that ties into sort of why we've we've been also uh, at the forefront of, you know, pushing a lot of these ethical considerations, right? Because the idea is to build AI systems, keeping in mind the impact on human rights and privacy and employment at the get-go, rather rather than, like I said, try to corral it at the end.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And we'll get into the ethics in a little bit, but, but I want to uh, switch over to um, actual places where AI becomes you know merges in with robotics and starts to work in the physical world um, mm-hmm. you know you have some uh, some very interesting um, portions of your chapter in the book, the Law of Artificial Intelligence and Smart Machines, um, in which you talk about tort law and statutory obligations on hazardous products and other issues involving um, Canadian law as it might apply to autonomous vehicles, say.
1: That's correct. And and that's, again, thinking in mind, taking old law, <laughs> if you want to call it, and, and trying to apply it in, in new ways, right? Because, again... We have not had s- sector-specific law that has actually talked about anything to do with these areas. So, basically, it's, it's again, sort of trying to use existing law around these issues and trying to, you know, make it happen. And as far as I know, of course, because it's so early days, we have not had uh, very much in the way of any kind of litigation or guidance and I should also mention to you, that's also one of the challenges about being a, a lawyer in Canada, if you will, because we are in some ways kinder and gentler, and I use that, you know, you can't see me smile, but I use that in quotation marks. We have tr- we have a, a, a lot less litigation here, generally speaking, and because our, our, uh, other than uh, criminal law, we don't have jury trials, which is might be um, a surprise to some of the audience who's listening to this. So, as a result, we frankly have a lot less case law in these areas. So, it becomes a little bit frustrating. Uh, we end up having to sort of look back at first principles when we when we try to advise in these areas, right? So, um, yeah, so one of the issues, for example, with respect to, to tort is going to be whether, you know, how would you even prove, you know, identifying any kind of defects or negligence on the part of the organization who creates the AI system, right? And ultimately who's going to be responsible for, for those damages that arise. Is it going to be the developer? Is it going to be the manufacturer of an AI or, or an IOT system? Um, you know, uh, autonomous vehicles, of course, or a whole other, uh, very extensive kettle of fish, right? Because of the complexity of them. And, um, ultimately, you know, there's going to always be issues about whether or not there's any kind of shared responsibility, I think, on the part of the user, right? And right. what role well, does, the and actually, what would, does the user have in that, right?
0: I would throw out a whole different um, uh, formula, which Canada may well consider. I'm not positive whether the U.S. ever would. Um, but I'm, I've suggested for U.S. states, it would not be a bad idea to be looking from a – if. if we have regular use of autonomous vehicles, um, to create some sort of a, um, no fault insurance pool, um, through the public, um, through, you know, funded by sales of the vehicles themselves. Cause if the vehicle, you know, these vehicles are going to have accidents and they may well have accidents in which no one really is at fault. In other words, you know, you get a, uh, you get 2000 pounds of steel, uh, Driving down the road at 40 miles an hour, something is can't happen to it, even if nobody's doing anything wrong. And so That's correct. And
1: actually, generally speaking, and uh, you know, uh, I will tell you, I don't actually even own a vehicle, which I again probably is shocking to your audience. <laughs> you don't generally need one in, in in Toronto between the public transit and the various ride-sharing programs. We generally do have a no-fault insurance program here. So, but I'd rather not get into that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, well, other than I just want to bring that up that you have that there and that it it may be, you know, a good way for anyone to think about how to deal with um, autonomous vehicles as, a, a, as a, a cultural force when they get to be a, a very big issue.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, I mean, when you're looking at things like product liability, is that, you know, we, we have fairly robust consumer protection law, right? So – there, you know, there are just as much as you try to disclaim these things, there are these implied warranties of, you know, fitness for a particular purpose and various other things in contracts. And we tend to have a heavier handed government in Canada, the government is more intrusive or in a positive way, arguably in some people's lives. So as much as some of the manufacturers may just try to disclaim liability w- with respect to sort of the, the effects of you know, autonomous vehicles or even AI systems. That doesn't get you very far in Canada because there is still this sort of benevolent obligation to make sure that consumers are protected, right? Yep. So, so effectively, there's limits on how much you can disclaim uh, for products, or so, et cetera, et cetera. There's still this obligation you know, that the manufacturer will be held responsible for the you know, damages or any sort of liability that will ensue. So yep, I did want to I, admit, I did want to get that in there because again that goes back to this whole issue of um, we tend to have more state intrusion in, in, in our in our lives in that sense, good and bad. Yeah.
0: Right? Yep, that's true. Well let me let me ask about IP. We're we're starting to try and figure out here as we have a couple of patents, for example, sitting around the US patent and trademark office that are listed as being invented by um, by artificial intelligence. Um, programs um, is that something I'm not sure would fly here. Uh, would that fly in Canada?
1: Yeah, um, we, it's, it's again patents are, are, are that's a bit of a, a newer area. Um, there's been very little guidance with respect to the patentability of, of um, computer-related technology and computer-related technology. It's it is typically found ineligible actually for, for patent protection in Canada. Yes. So, um, that being said, you can still get patents for computer-related technology if the technology provides a solution to a problem or if there's some kind of additional subject matter is required, uh, such as the use of computer hardware, right? So, it it is likely that any kind of underlying code of AI uh, would not in and of itself be patentable in Canada. So, we wouldn't typically try to go for patents. We would try to look at things like copyright protection, right right well yeah, but let's take let's it a
0: step that. further which is what happens when the ai itself is doing the creation i mean yes. can an ai be an inventor in canada could an ai be a a copyright holder
1: yeah and that's a very interesting question and i don't think actually people have turned their minds to that in any in any real way so yeah, unfortunately i probably
0: I'd, here as well
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think it's one of those things where it's a, it's a very you know unique challenge, and I think that essentially, since typically um, the the word author is not defined even in our Copyright Act, right? Yep. yep. Um, so case I law though easier. has suggested. I will say that case law has suggested that an author be a natural person, right? So, yes, so that's a requirement
0: in this country, but but that's that's. What yeah, which isn't to say.
1: That. I mean, and and you know, obviously the act is is alive and well, and 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 it does have amendments happen to it every so often. So, uh, effectively, um, we've not effect, we've not addressed this concern squarely on. But um, you know, you could argue that if a natural person is in control of the system, and is using the system, that person will be seen as the author. But you know, at what point does it you know have a life of its own? Then that becomes a harder question, right?
0: right. well, and, and both the u s and Canada, obviously have uh, corporate laws. so you know, it's possible that that an AI working on behalf of a corporation um, that's correct you know could could create intellectual property that's owned by that corporation because currently corporations own intellectual property,
1: yeah, but I believe in Canada, it's still the natural person, and then the natural person assigns it over to the court,
0: yep. Yep, that makes sense. Um, well yeah. let's let's get into the um, portion you hit earlier, which is that um, Canada tends to um, look very carefully at the ethics of almost every situation coming forward. Um, and AI is no um, is is no exception to that rule. I know that in the book you discuss uh, several different things, but but certainly the Montreal declaration, which included, Ten principles for ethical use of AI. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I'm actually rather proud of that, mainly because I'm originally born in Quebec and, <laughs> and sure. emanated from the uh, from the University of Montreal. Quebecois. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, this this started again fairly early on. It was spearheaded by them in in 2017, springing from uh, the forum on socially responsible development on artificial intelligence. And they came up with this this, this ten principle framework to promote the fundamental interests of people and groups when applied to AI. Um, the concern really was, again, this is very Canadian, sort of an ethical framework for the development, you know, nothing small here, an ethical framework for the development and deployment of AI, uh, guiding the digital transition to ensure all individuals benefit from the use of AI. And the idea being uh, to promote equitable, inclusive, and ecological, sustainable AI development. And so, you know, when you, and I've seen variations of these, you know, promoted by other uh, similar, uh, you know, frameworks, but I like the fact that they really try to think of everything, right? So, you know, you, you get some very sort of warming principles, like the number, the first one, and this is translated from French, so allow for some of the you know some of the language issues but the first one is, is the development and use of artificial intelligence systems must permit the growth and of the well-being of all sentient beings i mean who's going to argue with that right, <laughs> right. Know right. Know
0: well, we we would certainly like that to be the case although it seems to be uh um it seems to be hard to find things that we create that don't uh, you know that don't meet that requirement
1: I suppose yeah, I mean, I just, I just love, I, le- I just love some of these principles. I mean, they're so, they're so, um, they're so life affirming, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of them, again, is protection and privacy of intima- and intimacy. So, uh, you know, privacy and intimacy must be protected from AI intrusion and data acquisition. Um, the, the development of AI systems have to be compatible with maintaining the bonds of solidarity among people and generations right? I mean, more practically speaking, I mean, what they're calling for is things like making sure that, you know, AI systems aren't allowed to go amok, and they have to meet certain justifications and intelligence criteria, and also they have to create, uh, they must contribute to the creation of a just and equitable society, keeping in mind things like diversion, uh, sorry, diversity, I should say, not diversion, diversity and responsibility. So, um, there there
0: there was
1: also a Sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
0: They also discuss democratic participation.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that because because one of the concerns, again, is that people are very concerned about how the use of AI could end up with less democracy, right? Mm-hmm. so and and you know, similar to European concerns relating to you know a loss of control when AI systems are applied to people's lives. There is a concern that any kind of use of AI must not contribute to lessen the responsibility of human beings when decisions are made, right? Because then you end up in situations which are already happening where you know employment, people's lives are being fundamentally changed uh, by, you know decisions being made through you know machine learning and and AI systems around employment, right? Yeah. Um, I should also mention that, in addition to the Montreal Declaration, Um, Canada also was an early signer to the Global Declaration on uh, Ethics and Data Protection and Artificial Intelligence in 2018. And that was focused on concerns relating to bias in machine learning um, and discrimination. That seems a
0: little more practical than uh, than,
1: than the Montreal Montreal Declaration. Yeah, I agree. Because the concern, I mean, you know, after you sort of start out in 2017 with the lofty principles, at some point, you know, you have to actually, you know... Have real conversations about what that means. And, um, yeah, and at
0: least I am not, I'm not, uh, diminishing the lofty principles. I'm just saying
1: <laughs> that,
0: that, that because I agree with you, I mean, I think if you're going to do this, you, you need to start by identifying whatever principles, lofty or otherwise, that you think that, that we should be reaching toward. Um, yeah, and, and, I'm and keep in mind, more, too,
1: that. Uh, the the declaration emanated from um, u- the University of Montreal whereas oh, the uh, the um, you know the the uh, the the, 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 art, the data the declaration on ethics and data protection on artificial intelligence was actually adopted by you know the um, the 40th uh, international conference of data protection and the privacy commissioners right so right, these right. are the, these are the folks that are charged with actually you know, taking these principles and providing, in theory at least, meaningful guidance, right? And, yeah, absolutely. And they ha- they're the ones at the front line having to deal with irate companies and, and you know, individuals trying to understand their rights in the context of a changing environment. Right, so but they
0: get into stuff like transparency.
1: Exactly, um, yeah, bias, I was going to say. So these, these are the folks that are saying, you know, to, they're creating guiding principles that are a lot more grounded and saying things like, You know, all AI and machine learning technologies have to be designed in accordance with fairness, right? Right. And any data collected for use is has to be used in a way that was not incompatible with the original purpose for their collection. Which, you know, back to what I said earlier, starts to sound awfully like you know your your guiding principles of, of Canadian federal and provincial privacy laws, right? Right. And of course, you know, there, there's a lot of concern about accountability, so there has to be accountability for the effects and consequences of AI systems, and you mentioned transparency, um, because obviously there, there's the big concern, of course, with AI, and this is the term that, you know, you keep seeing again and again, is how AI is such a black box, right? And there's, you know, you're having, you're having challenges understanding how the decisions were arrived at and made, and so that's why they, they're encouraging uh, research on explainable AI, Right. To try to as make many of okay. us are.
0: I think that's a that's a great point.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and you can also sort of see the hand of you know, you know, the legacy of Ann Kabuki and other people who you know creating ethics by design. Right. So the idea being that when you start to de- develop and design these AI systems, they have to be designed uh, responsibly from the start. And you know, it's not ethics are not something that you you know kind of ask questions about at the tail end of the project, they need to be. Part of any kind of implementation at the very beginning, right?
0: Yes. No, that's definitely right. Well, and as we said earlier, I mean, I, I, I've always admired the fact that that uh, Canada tends to lead with its ethics um, when yeah. when beginning to determine how where things are going and how things uh, should be should be created and, and implemented.
1: Well, you know, we have these very long winters, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Lots, well, lots of time to think. Yeah. Um, well, when we're not off snowshoeing and things like that, we have a lot of time to think about, you know, unlawful bias and discrimination and the effects that that could have on a on a, on a larger society, right?
0: Exactly. Well, I mean, but that's also what nice people do.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of my entire country, I... there you
0: go. <laughs> um, Well, let's let's get uh, let's get into our final question here, which. Uh, we, we've been asking everybody in the in the series, um, which is what what is your favorite um, depiction of artificial intelligence in the media? What what is it you've liked to have seen?
1: Yeah, well, maybe it's because you we know, we only have sunlight for half the year, right? Uh, I tend to favor uh, dystopian uh, AI systems, right? So of course, you know, uh, I, I adore anything to do with the term, Terminators, right? Uh, But Uh I have to say, I have to say, you know, in the spirit of nationalism, uh, my my favorite cyborg or AI system has to be Hal uh, from 2000, from the film 2001. And, and, you know, keeping with the theme here, part of the reason I love Hal so much is because uh, here's your here's your big fact of the day. Hal happened to be voiced by uh, Douglas James Rain, a Canadian actor, and uh, although primarily a stage actor, he actually provo- provided the voice of Hal in several films, like uh, 2001 and, tw- and its sequel 2010. So, yes, everyone, uh, Hal was a Canadian.
0: That's excellent. Well, wow. and, and Hal had a lovely voice. That was that yes, was he
1: did. One Although of the actually, scariest
0: things about him.
1: Well, he was actually chosen. For, I was uh, I was amused by this, so I, I looked. He, he was a secondary choice because the original voice was seen as too colloquially American. So he was chosen because he actually had a very quote bland voice, <laughs> and I think well, that about sums up that about that about sums up uh, the perception of Canadians.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, he had a great contribution to culture in that in that particular case, and we we very much appreciate your contribution here. Lisa Lipschitz is a um, lawyer in. Toronto, who has written an excellent chapter on uh, AI and Canadian law in the law of artificial intelligence and smart machines. Thank you, Lisa. We really appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Yes, my pleasure. And uh, I can be reached at uh, my law firm, Torkin Mains in Toronto. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series, To the Extent That... The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.